Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Pet. People have their opinion. What other falsehoods are out there? A lot of the perception things about us. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with our ability to to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we we can make a substantial leap. Kick back, relax. Locked on Bulls starts now. My job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Jordan Malley. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369, the place to drop all of your voicemails and all of your text messages. We're going to do mailbag tomorrow, so make sure you get your voicemails in, your text messages in. You've got any questions for us, you want to leave us some comments uh, or leave us a voicemail, please do that. Pull out your phone if you're a brand new listener to the show, only been listening for a few weeks, maybe a month. Pull out your phone right now. Add Locked on Bulls to your contacts list. So you have an easy way to text us before or after games this season. And also give us a call. So that's 331-979-1369, the place to do that. Again, make sure you're subscribed to all of the Locked On Chicago shows. That's Locked On Blackhawks, Locked On Cubs, and Locked On Bears. All three of those shows do a wonderful job covering their teams, in addition to what we do here at Locked On Bulls. So if you're a Chicago sports fan, those are must-subscribes. Sean Sears, Lauren Cox, Jay Zawoski, all the hosts of those other shows. So they are fantastic. Make sure to go give them a subscribe. Uh, Matt Peck is out today, and you guys are hanging out with me today. And I want to spend the majority of the episode talking about Zach Levine. Uh, Maybe a shorter episode than normal, but uh, I wanted to spend a decent chunk of time here talking about some of the comments he's made over the last couple of weeks uh, leading up to the regular season. You know, we had the comment about him talking about mid-range shots and how the mid-range game is kind of dead and the Bulls may or may not asking him to take less mid-range shots this season. So we'll get into that and we'll also talk about too him addressing the defense. I think this is a good thing. And we'll talk a little bit more about, we'll get into some of his stats as well, but I think just to start him addressing all of the people talking crap about his defense. It's kind of nice to hear Zach Levine step up and defend himself, right? At least that's how I took it at the beginning. I was listening to Zach Levine answer some of these questions, and he was pretty frank about it. I mean, he just said he's tired of people talking shit about his defense. And man, I don't blame him. I feel like a lot of the shit talking about his defense comes from people who don't watch the Bulls that often. Who haven't watched Zach Levine play for a season and a half. But we'll get to that. So these comments were made during a media session just the other day, uh, as well as the mid-range comments, too. So I want to touch on those, two, and I have some stats to back it up just to give you guys kind of a frame of reference as far as what the NBA is doing 
what the top scorers in the league are doing as far as where they're taking their shots and how they are getting their points. So we'll touch on that a little bit, but let's go back to the defense thing for a second. This has been something that Zach Levine's been getting rode for for what? Since he arrived here in Chicago. I feel like people talked crap about his defense. Even Bulls fans at first, you know, they said that he wasn't going to be a great defender. We all kind of knew that. And I think we've all kind of come to accept that, right? Part of Zach Levine's game and part of the improvement we want to see from Zach Levine, even though he is entering his sixth season, is still to be able to improve uh, in all facets of his game. I said this multiple times throughout the season last year, that Zach Levine's goal for last year's season was to get back to the scoring, the consistency that he was at last year. I don't feel like the defense was that big of a priority for him last year. And it probably shouldn't, right? Would you have rather seen Zach Levine go out there and score maybe 14 to 15 points a game, play a little bit better defense, or see him take it to the next level and be at the point where we thought he was going to be when we made the trade for Zach Levine as far as his offensive output goes? I said this is going to be a learning curve, and he doesn't have to learn everything overnight. Like Let's be, let's be clear about this. Zach Levine, his first healthy season back from an ACL tear was last year. All of the changes to Zach Levine's game can't be made overnight, can't be made over in one season, can't be focused on in one offseason. So we talked about this. We talked about him just staying healthy last year and being able to get back to the point where he was scoring 20, 25 points a night. And he achieved that. And that's good. That's a good thing. If you're a Bulls fan and you want Zach Levine to be one of your primary scorers, that's a great thing. I think the one missing key here for Zach Levine is his defense. And I think fans and people who are quick to knock Levine's game, that's the first thing that they go to is Zach Levine's a terrible defender. Zach Levine, it's like having a gaping hole out there. But are we sure about that? Like, I get it. As, As a Bulls fan who watched all 82 games, including the preseason last year, watching Zach Levine on defense at times made you eye roll a little bit. Made your stomach cringe a little bit. But what about all the times that he did make great defensive plays? Or he was locking up his guy one-on-one. You know, we don't talk about any of those moments enough and what he could build off of that. But I wanted to start with that comment first, was he's tired of people talking shit about his defense. And he also said, too, he's going to make it so people will notice this year that there has been a conscious effort to improve on that side of the ball. And good for him, man. I mean, if he wants to be become one of these two-way players, one of these all-star type of players, he's got to be better on the defensive side. But let's be honest here, too. Think about the Bulls' defense last year. It's just not on Zach Levine. How many guys out there did you trust to lock up somebody one-on-one when the Bulls were playing? Is there anybody on that Bulls' defense that you were you were trusting when they went one-on-one with a guy, no matter where that was on the floor, that they were going to be able to lock them up? How many of those guys could you count on this Bulls team last year? That you were confident in? Maybe two? Wendell Carter Jr. when he was healthy for the first half of the season? That's about it, right? Most of the defenders on this Bulls team weren't very good. Let's be honest with that. And part of defense is a team part of this game. Like, offense can come individually. Guys can create their own shots. Guys can find a way to score without the other four players being involved. Ask James Harden in Houston. But the defensive side of the ball also incorporates a lot of teammate play. 
And I think this is something Jim Boylan wanted to focus on a lot more than, say, he did last year. You know, he slowed things down on the offensive side to try to fix things and do it the way he wanted to do it. But he also talked about a mentality of being strong on the defensive side of the ball, too. And so... I think this is only a good thing for Zach Levine if he is consciously knowing that people talk crap about his defense and he wants to go out there and improve it. Now the question is, will it translate? I think the one biggest thing that helps him is, look at the team now, look at the roster now compared to the roster that the Bulls had last year, even with all the injuries. This defense is far better than it was last year, and that's not saying a whole lot, but still... On a nightly basis, Zach Levine will be out there with guys like Thomas Sadoransky and Otto Porter and Wendell Carter Jr. and Thaddeus Young. These are guys that can play defense. These guys are, are guys that can switch, can help Zach Levine when he gets in a bind. But that doesn't mean that Zach Levine doesn't have to play any defense at all. The point I'm trying to make here is Zach Levine didn't have any other teammates around him that were helping him on the defensive side of the ball, which I think Zach Levine caught a lot of the brunt for that. I felt like he caught a lot of flack for that last year. It's like, oh, Zach Levine scored 32 points, but you know, you see the first three, four, five comments on Twitter after the game, if the Bulls get blown out by 20 is, yeah, but he sucks at playing defense. Couldn't play, couldn't guard a chair. Fair. But also, too, let's remind ourselves the kind of talent Zach Levine was playing with, especially at the back end of the season. The last six weeks of that season, plus November, when Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis, Lowry Markinen were all out in the month of November leading up in December into Fred Hoiberg's firing, he didn't have too many people around him. Let's go into the stats, though. Let's, let's see how bad Zach Levine actually was on defense, or quote-unquote bad, from a lot of people that want to knock him and say he's really just a one-way player. Let's take a little bit deeper look at the stats and compare him to the rest of the league. So the first thing that I noticed about this was defensive box plus minus. And look, any stat that I'm talking about right now is obviously not end-all, be-all. It's not all-encompassing. There's plenty of different things that you can categorize when you're looking at stats to qualify whether a guy is good or bad at something. And it it, it doesn't qualify. It shouldn't be the end-all be-all when you're talking about stats either. There's also an eye test in how they're actually playing on the floor. So don't take this as end-all be-all. Don't take this as 100% truth. But I think the stats are important to take a look at. First, we'll start with defensive box plus minus. Zach Levine has never been a positive defensive box minus player in his five seasons. Kind of hard to do when you play on a rebuilding Minnesota Wolves team for the first three years, and they didn't have a whole lot of defenders up there either. Tears his ACL, comes back, plays only about 24 games, had a negative box plus minus in his first season back with the Bulls. He was at negative two in 2017-2018 in about 24 games. But for the first time ever in Zach Levine's career, he was an even box plus minus. So that's taking your offensive box plus minus and your defensive box plus minus, adding those numbers together. Being at net zero or positive is a good thing. So Zach Levine, for the first time in his career, was a zero in box plus minus. That's a good thing. He also dropped his defensive box plus minus over a longer stretch of time. He had a negative 1.7 defensive box plus minus in 2018-2019. 
He also had the most defensive rebounds he's ever had in his career last year at 254. You know, I was curious around going around the league, looking at guards specifically who scored over 20 points per game last year, played at least 41 games, and had a defensive box plus minus of a negative 1.5 or greater. Let's take a look at those guys. Zach Levine comes into that negative 1.7 at 23.7 points per game. Kemba Walker is next at negative 1.7, 25.6 points per game. CJ McCollum at negative 1.9, 21 points per game. Buddy Heald at negative 2 at 20.7 points per game. Klay Thompson at a negative 2 at 21.5 points per game. Devin Booker at a negative 3 at 26.6 points per game. So there was five other guys in the league, and all five of those guys... Devin Booker, Clay Thompson, Buddy Heald, C.J. McCollum, Kemba Walker, with the exception of maybe Buddy Heald. And even Buddy Heald's a borderline all-star. All five of those guys are, are all-star caliber players. They all have a worse defensive box plus minus than Zach Levine did. Or tied with Zach Levine. So there are guys out there that are all-stars, that are carrying their teams to the playoffs, that aren't very good on the defensive side of the ball. You know, for all the talk we talked about Klay Thompson and how and how he's a decent defender, he had a negative two box plus minus last year. Negative two defensive box plus minus. Devin Booker's a terrible defender. Terrible. And for whatever reason, I tried to make the comparison right when Zach Levine was coming into his first fully healthy season back in the summer of 2018. Tried to make this comparison between Zach Levine and Devin Booker, and I said there isn't that much, isn't that far off. You know, obviously Zach Levine's got to come back and show us the offensive side of the ball, but it's not that far off. We want to give Devin Booker all this praise for being this guy that can score twenty five a game, can assist, can have six to eight assists a game, and have six to seven rebounds per game too. Shoot the lights out from three. But why doesn't ever anybody ever talk shit about his defense? Granted, again, the same reason why I give Zach Levine some of the benefit of the doubt is because of the guys that he was playing around with. The guys that were playing next to him on the floor for the majority of the season. The Phoenix Suns weren't very great. They're not a very good defending team either. So I will give Devin Booker a little bit of credit there, but he's not a great defender either. But look at Klay Thompson on a Golden State Warriors team. On a dynasty-level team, he's a negative 2.0. Defensive box plus minus. C.J. McCollum on a Portland team that went all the way to the conference finals. And then, of course, Kimball Walker. Sure, the Charlotte team that he was on wasn't very good, but they were still battling for the majority of the season for a playoff spot. So keep that in mind. There are guys that had worse seasons last year, as far as defensive box plus minus go, than Zach Levine did, that scored 20 points per game. And those, those five names I just listed to you are either a borderline all-star or have been an all-star before in their career. So I know there's probably some of you out there that are interested. I'm always very fascinated by stats. I think the stats also give you some extra layer of knowledge when it comes to watching games and evaluating players. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I love it as a compliment to what we see on the floor night in and night out. The NBA is going to more analytical teams. Sports in general, in sports in the modern era, are going 
towards more analytical teams. You know, just watching the MLB playoffs, and I know I'm going to a completely different sport for a second, but just looking at the MLB playoffs, every team that was in the playoffs that had survived had an analytical team over 15 people. Like they were focusing heavily on stats and analytics to determine what should be done on the field, how players should be, be able to improve. Guys are starting to take that into account. So I love the compliment that, that stats give us, especially advanced stats too. And I know, like I said before, before I even started this segment, stats are not everything. They're not the end-all be-all. But they're a nice compliment to what we may, may or may not see on the floor. Let's also look at ESPN's defensive real plus minus. You know, real plus minus, this all-encompassing stat that ESPN tried to create, something that they could rank players 1 through 514 that qualified. And it's, again, this is probably the closest stat that you could get to as far as an all-encompassing how do they impact the team on the floor night in and night out. How do these guys have an impact? But I don't buy into all of it yet because there are weird names that pop up in the top hundred. You're like, really? Like, I get the stats are saying one thing, but what we know about the player is another. Out of 514 qualified players for ESPN's defensive RPM last year, Zach Levine came in at number 472 at negative 1.87. For those of you who don't have any idea what I'm talking about with defensive real plus minus from ESPN. Here's the definition of defensive real plus minus given by ESPN. Players estimated on court impact on team defensive performance measured in points allowed per 100 defensive possessions. As far as a little bit of context, the worst player in the NBA as far as defensive real plus minus goes last year was Trey Young at negative 4.78. Zach Levine was at a negative 1.78. So still, not great. Zach Levine at probably the bottom 10% of the league. Again, though, that has impact on the teammates that, you're, that are playing around you. The types of teams, the types of opponents you're playing night in and night out. So I have to give Zach Levine a little credit, but it's not great to see Zach Levine's name at the bottom bucket of that list. So I hope with with some help this year, with some focus from Jim Boylan and Roy Rogers on the defensive side of the ball, that there is a major improvement there. And I think that there will be. There should be. If Zach Levine is going to play alongside a healthy Wendell Carter Jr. and Thaddeus Young in a lot of these spots... There's no reason why the Bulls should be as bad as they were. And there's no reason Zach Levine should have these bad of numbers on defense if the Bulls are fully healthy this season. But again, I just talked about defensive box plus minus and guys that were worse than Zach Levine that are at an all-star caliber level. But then on the flip side, you look at a different stat like defensive real plus minus, and ESPN has him ranked as one of the worst defenders in the entire league. So... Stats don't tell you everything, but it does give you an idea of where kind of Zach Levine sits. 
The one thing that I did notice on this too, and I know we were just talking specifically about Levine's defense, but uh, on the flip side, on a more positive side, Zach Levine out of 514 players ranked number 68 in offensive real plus minus last year. So he was in the top 100 at a positive 1.38. So that's good to see as well. Now, if we kind of can balance that out a little bit, Zach Levine staying at about a 1.3 next year or this upcoming season and maybe dropping down that defensive Rio plus minus to hopefully under a negative one can really shift some things around. You know, and I could go to into a, a million different other stats, but I, I just, I feel like maybe we shouldn't buy so much into individual defensive stats as far as saying whether a guy is a trash defender or not. I think there's a lot more factors that go into it than maybe being able to evaluate a guy on the offensive side of the ball. Let's take a look at one more defensive stat first from Levine, and then we'll go to talking about a little bit about mid-ranges. So it's curious, what, what's Zach Levine's on-ball defense? What did that look like last year as far as stats, how opponents shot against him, how many shots were opponents taking on average that Zach Levine had to defend? One of the more interesting things that I found right off the bat was Zach Levine had the fourth lowest defended field goal percentage in the Bulls last season, 45%. That's pretty damn good. Chandler Hutchison had one of the lowest. Shaq Harrison had one of the lowest. Robin Lopez had one of the lowest. But for Zach Levine at 45%, that's pretty damn good. And again, think about it. If Zach Levine, if, if a lot of people out there think Zach Levine isn't a very good defender, and yet he's posting the fourth best defended field goal percentage on the Bulls last year. That What does that tell you about the Bulls' defense overall last year? Not very good. So take that with a grain of salt. On average, he defended 9.8 shots per game last year. What I found interesting was going back and looking at the rest of the league, though. Looking at guards that are similar to Levine, similar in position to him. And I found it pretty interesting Here's some guys that had worse defended field goal percentages than Zach Levine last year. Donovan Mitchell, Russell Westbrook, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Buddy Heald, Andrew Wiggins, DeMar DeRozan. You know, a handful of those guys in that list that I just named off are never bagged for their defense. I mean, hell, is it's it's kind of crazy that Jimmy Butler had a higher defended field goal percentage than Zach Levine did last year. And we talk about how good of a defender Jimmy Butler can be at, at times. And granted, the, the first person that's going to tweet at me is going to say, well, Jimmy Butler's garden, all-star caliber players night in and night out. Fair. Zach Levine, the quality of defender, the quality of players that de- Zach Levine is defending on a nightly basis is probably nowhere near what Jimmy Butler has to face. Or even say a Bradley Beal or a Donovan Mitchell, or a Kyrie Irving. Because if you watched a lot of the sets last year, at least the way Jim Boylan was trying to do it is try to get Zach Levine on a guy that is not the all-star type of offensive player. We saw, for the most part, a lot of switching. Before Justin Holiday was traded, Justin Holiday had the duty of having to do that, having to go over and defend the best player on the floor, the best shooting guard on the floor. Made for tough times. Then we had that gap in there with before Otto Porter came back, Jim Boyle had to mix and match. I mean, he was asking guys like he's asking guys like Ryan Archidiakno and Wayne Seldon Jr. to defend 
the best shooter on the floor night in and night out. So you would see at times, and that's not to say Zach Levine wouldn't guard any of these top caliber offensive players. It just didn't happen as as frequently as maybe some of these other all-star defense first type of players like Jimmy Butler. So I will give you that. But still, defended field goal percentage. Zach Levine had a better defended field goal percentage on nearly 10 shots defended per game than Donovan Mitchell, Russell Westbrook, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Buddy Heald, Andrew Wiggins, and DeMar DeRozan. That's just to name a few guys. I mean, you can go look at the rest of the list. But that's just a few of them. So I don't think Zach Levine was as bad of a defender as people think he was last year. And most of the people bagging him, too, I don't think watched a whole lot of Bulls games last year. And that's just to say Zach Levine wasn't... That's not to say Zach Levine was an all-star caliber defender. He wasn't. There was times he would get lost. He'd miss a switch. Guys would get easy buckets. It happens. My overarching point to this, though, is to Bulls fans, too. People that don't think he can improve anymore. Is all of it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't all happen overnight. You know, Zach Levine focused a lot on his offense and being able to transform back to what he thought he should be at all of last year. And I think it was important for that to happen. Now that he has the confidence level to know he can go out there, score at the rim, shoot the three at at a pretty decent clip, be one of those number one scoring options on a nightly basis for this Bulls team, it allows him to go and focus on other parts of his game. What happens if Zach Levine would be struggling on offense last year? What happens if he didn't average nearly 24 points a game? What happens if it was half that? 12, 13 points a game. His field goal percentage was terrible. Probably coming into this year focusing more on his offensive side of the ball than he would on the defensive side. So for those that said he didn't make any improvements or any strides last year to try and fix this issue, it doesn't all have to happen in one season. So I'm excited to see what Zach Levine is going to prove to a lot of fans that talk shit about his defense. So I give him credit for going to the media and said, you know, I'm tired of it. And the only way to prove people wrong is just to go out there and show them. Will we see a, a newly improved defensive player in Zach Levine this year? Maybe. I'd like to see that steal percentage go up. I'd like to see the defended field goal percentage go down. Zach Levine's a very intelligent player, so I think it, you know, defense for a lot of players, it's all about effort. And I think being able to give that effort on that side of the ball, too, with some help on the offense, he doesn't have to gas himself every time he's on the offensive side of the ball. And, it, you know, it causes negatives on the defensive side. So with shooters around him on the offense, not feeling like he needs to do every single thing, push all of his energy onto one side of the ball. I think this is going to allow him to fix, improve on things on the defensive side. And I think it also helps too having a guy like Otto Porter next uh, next to you, having Wendell Carter Jr. defending the paint, defending the rim. Thaddeus Young being able to come off the bench and switch between a couple different positions and also be a decent defender. All of these things I think are going to help Levine. Do we see a better, more improved Levine in the stats and also on the floor? I think we do this year. And when he's out to set to prove people wrong, I think this is going to happen. This is going to be the year. But I was very, very surprised, but very happy that Zach Levine kind of addressed this this year. 
Give me your thoughts, though. What did you think about Zach Levine's defense overall last year, just from some of the games that you watched? Uh, what do you think about the stats as well? How it plays off of other star, borderline star players in the league and what they're doing. Hit us up with your questions at 331-979-1369 or your texts and your reactions to any of this. You know, the last thing before we get out of here, the last thing I wanted to talk about was Zach Levine talking, and this was a few days ago, talking about mid-range shots. The idea that players should be able to shoot the mid-range and should want to shoot the mid-range. And him talking specifically about how he grew up and what players he was looking at, and he says it's a little bit aggravating that uh, a team or or people in general would talk about the mid-range game as pretty much being deceased. You know, I think he has a point, too. There are still good players in the NBA. There are still all-star caliber players in this league that do take a decent chunk of mid-range shots. It's about getting those efficient mid-range shots, though. Here's a quote from Zach Levine, just talking about the mid-range game in general. This is coming from Joe Colley from the Chicago Sun-Times. It says, according to Levine, the organization's numbers department is convinced that his mid-range game has to go away. For how long? Levine wasn't sure. Maybe it's just a preseason thing, or maybe it's just until the new up-tempo offense finds its legs. Either way, Levine feels like it's killing an already lost art. Quote from Levine. I mean, I grew up being a Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant fan, Levine said. I know that some of the greatest scores in the NBA history were mid-range, mid-post guys. It's sad to see it be pushed to the side. I mean, Carmelo Anthony is one of the greatest scorers ever, but he's out of the NBA right now somewhat because the analytics don't want mid-range twos. I think it takes away a little bit of the skillfulness and it takes away some of the weaponry. But I'll tell you this, there's still guys in the NBA, and I think I'm one of them, that can still get it done. You know, and he, I get it. He has a point. And he, I did read an article earlier in the week, too. I think it was coming from Golly, just laughing at the fact that uh, he was asking Zach Levine about bloggers and guys that use stats to as end-all, be-alls on what guys should and should not do. Uh, I kind of found it funny, as, funny myself, but think about it this way for a second. Go back to last season real quick. Zach Levine got more efficient with his scoring and his shooting at the back end of the Bulls season than he was at the beginning. Why is that? Do we all remember what Jim Boylan's philosophy was for Zach Levine? And at first, Zach Levine kind of pushed back on that. It was the fact that Jim Boylan wanted most of Zach Levine's shots coming either at the rim or outside beyond the arc. I actually applaud Jim Boylan for that. I want to see our score getting... Most of his shots at those two positions. Those are the two best places Zach Levine can score. Those are the two most dominant places Zach Levine is at. Behind the three-point arc, near the basket. I don't want to see Zach Levine taking contested mid-range twos. You know, and Jim Boylan said that just as much. Jim Boylan said, I don't want guys taking shots early on in the clock that are mid-range contested twos. And I'm exactly with him. And I think that's what the analytical department from the Bulls is specifically saying. is like, you don't have to completely disappear from a mid-range two, but don't take an inefficient shot there, especially early on in the shot clock. There are better shots on the floor that you can set yourself or your teammates up for than a a mid-range two when you drive down the ball after seven seconds and chuck something up. I think that's what he was getting towards. 
I was curious where Zach Levine's fell as far as mid-range shots go. So I was looking at all of the players last year and the players that shot the most mid-range shots in one season, just from last year. There's only 20 guy, 29 guys in the NBA last year that shot 200 or more mid-range shots that were considered a guard. 29 out of 263 qualifying guards in the NBA, and this is coming from stats.nba.com. 29 guys. All of us probably can guess, especially if you're, even if you're a casual NBA fan, you can guess out of those guards who was number one in shooting mid-ranges. DeMar DeRozan. Of course, 553 mid-range shots last year. He shot 40.5% from mid-range. It's pretty decent, actually. Number two was one of the best scorers in the NBA in Klay Thompson. One of the most efficient scorers in the NBA in Klay Thompson. He shot 448 mid-range shots on 45.3% shooting. That's pretty damn good. If you're putting up 45% shooting from mid-range, nobody can tell you to stop shooting mid-range shots. Here's where people should tell you to stop shooting as many mid-range shots. Is anytime you're below 36, 35%. There was only three players that were worse as far as mid-range goes that shot more than 200 mid-range field goal attempts last year than Zach Levine. There was only three guys in this list that were worse than Zach Levine. One being Dwayne Wade. He shot 230 at a 33% clip. Russell Westbrook, who shot the fourth most mid-range twos of anybody. 355, and he shot 31.8%. Andrew Wiggins, 320 mid-range shots at 34.7%. Lou Williams at 36.5%. Now, Zach Levine shot 204 mid-range shots last year and shot it at 35.8%. You're probably curious though, like what 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 other zones? What else? What else did this look like for Zach Levine? Talking about shots, the zones that he was shooting in. So here it is. At the rim, Zach Levine shot 494 attempts at 61.7 percent. Pretty fucking good. Zach Levine in the the paint, non restricted area, 116 shots at 27.6 percent. That's terrible. That's not considered a mid-range shot, but it's right in between getting to the rim and a mid-range shot. At 27.6%, tells me hopefully we can eliminate some of those. The mid-range shot at 35.8% at 204 attempts, I can live with that, but I think Zach Levine for himself can find more efficient shots than that. And then they talked about his his, his shooting from three. Uh, from one of the corners, 27 attempts, 51.9%. The other corner, 42.9%. Above the arc, 48.8% from three. And then above the break, shot 36%, which brought him the most three-point attempts. Everything else was either corners or elbows, threes. But he didn't shoot a whole ton of those. Shot a lot of his three-pointers from above the break on the three, 278 at 36% shooting. See, now, what happens if you can cut those mid-range shots that Zach Levine has at 204 and half and distribute them across either getting to the rim or shooting them from beyond three? 
I would rather see Zach Levine do that. But I, I understand what he's saying. And he is a good scorer, but I don't want this to turn into an inconsistency battling himself night in and night out. If you're chucking up contested mid-range twos, it is. It's not an efficient shot. I think it staggers the offense, too. We saw a lot of this when Chris Dunn was trying to get his offense back last year. You know, pulling up at the at the elbow, right at the free throw line, right there. That was one of his most efficient shots with the first year he was here. He tried to do that again last year, and it just wasn't falling. It's was making the offense very stagnant. So my, my larger point being here is a lot of these guys, if you're not shooting over 40% from the mid-range and you're taking 200-plus shots there, probably should reevaluate that, right? I mean, the only guys worse out of these 29 players that shot 200 or more were Dwayne Wade, Andrew Wiggins, Jimmy Butler, and Russell Westbrook. The only argument I could have for Zach Levine taking or at least admitting that maybe there is some value to shooting mid-range shots is the fact that I look at the points leaders. Guys who scored the most points in the NBA last year. There's quite a few guys on the top 20 list that were also guys who were in the top 20 in most mid-range shots attempted last season. I mean, let's take a look at this for a second. Real quick and then we'll get out of here. Most points scored in the league last year, James Harden, 2,800. They just blowed, blew everybody out of the water. Paul George was number two. Neither of those guys on this list. At least in the top 20, as far as mid-range shots go. Neither of those guys in the top 20. Kemba Walker was third in points last year. He was on this list. He shot 271 mid-range shots. At a 46.9% clip. I think it's fair to say Kemba Walker has the advantage to being able to say, yes, I can shoot mid-range shots. It also helps me score. So you can bug off. Fair. Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, number four and five in scoring last year. Also a part of this top 200 list. Damian Lillard at 284 mid-range shots at 46.1%. Then you go down the list, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Stephen Curry, Carl Anthony Towns, Blake Griffin, and I'm not really talking about bigs here, I guess, so so forget, I guess, the bigs for a second, because those are a little bit different, specifically talking about guards and the, the most points the guards have scored. So I'm scrolling through this list, the rest of these guys, it, we have to go all the way to number 14 and number 15 at D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker and Buddy Heald at 16, Clay Thompson at 17, Russell Westbrook at, eight, at 18. So from 14 to 18, all of those guys are a part of this 200 or more mid-range shot club and also a part of the top 20 in scoring. Does it change your mind at all about mid-range shots and whether or not Zach Levine should take those or not? Because there is some evidence that there are guards here in the top 20 in scoring last year that took a hell of a lot of mid-range shots. So does it change your mind at all about where Zach Levine should be taking shots? For me, I don't care where you get the bucket necessarily, but I don't want it to become a habit where you come down the floor and we we only waste seven seconds off the, the shot clock and you end up taking a contested mid-range too. It throws the offense completely off. And I also don't think it's a great idea if if there is evidence of a decent chunk of shots coming from the mid-range and you're not that great at it. 
35.8% isn't that great if you're shooting from the mid-range. It's probably, some people would call that awful. Like we made fun of Russell Westbrook last year because he would just straight up brick shots. I hate to say it, but but for Zach Levine, first and foremost, three is more than two. So if you're going to take a mid-range shot, why not take a three or kick it out and try to make a three? Try to set up a play to get you to the basket. You're better at both of those spots than you are at shooting mid-ranges. It's not to say that you can't do it. It's why I care so much about it when there is a change to philosophy as far as the way that this offense should run. I don't think it's going to be too much of a concern because, again, what we've just even seen in preseason is the Bulls have three, four, five shooters out there at a time. It's not like last year where Zach Levine was struggling by himself to pretty much have to get up a shot to be pretty much the only offensive weapon on this team until at least Lowry Markkinen came back or Otto Porter was traded for in February. But for the most part, Zach Levine had to get buckets on his own. But if I'm Zach Levine, I don't know if I necessarily look at the mid-range shot as far as the evaluation of his game and how it impacts him and saying, yeah, damn, 35.8% from mid-range is pretty decent. Maybe I should continue to take 200 plus of those a year. To me, I don't see how that's very efficient. And maybe maybe you can leave that number completely and maybe talk a little bit more about in between the mid-range and getting to the bucket, where he shot 27% from there on 120-plus shots. It's a lot easier to break this up when we're talking about full entire seasons as opposed to doing this night in and night out, seeing what's going to be most efficient. But I think I don't think we see Zach Levine completely go away from the mid-range game. And I don't think that's what the Bulls are necessarily asking him to do. They're just saying like, hey, you're a better shooter from A, B, and C. Why do you continue to take shots at D? Maybe cut down, trim the fat off of those shots from D, expand them across A, B, and C. You're going to see more points per game. You're going to see a higher efficiency. Higher effective field goal percentage, higher field goal percentage, higher three-point percentage. When your guys like Kemba Walker, J.J. Reddick, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, when you're these types of guys that are shooting over 45% from mid-range, then nobody has any reason to question why you're taking those shots. But when you're around 34, 35% or under that, then there's cause for... There's cause for concern and there's reasons why maybe the Bulls are evaluating that and saying, hey, you're not very efficient here. Maybe we can we can cut that down a little bit and spread it across places you are. I don't know. I could go on for an entire week talking about positioning and where guys should take their shots and how guys think about this. And I think it's fascinating to hear Zach Levine talk about it too, just from the mindset of what he thinks should be done on the floor and what his skill set he thinks is biggest strengths are as far as his skill set goes and what fans and NBA writers and analysts and all these people talk about uh, what they think is the best shot. So I'm curious if we see any type of change with Zach Levine eliminating more of those mid-range shots and maybe taking the advice from the Bulls analytical team and taking more threes and more shots at the rim as opposed to lining up 200 plus mid-range shots a game or not a game a year. 
It'll be interesting, though. I don't think he he's totally off base when he talks about guys like C.J. McCollum. Look at him in the playoffs. I mean, he went to that mid-range game, and it opened up a lot of things. Yes, that is good for those guys, but those guys are also hitting it at almost a 50% clip. So if you're not doing that, you can't also compare it to guys like that and say, these dudes are doing it. Well, yeah, these dudes are doing it, but they're doing it at nearly 10% higher than you are. So if you can get to that point where you're shooting 42, 45, 46% from mid-range, then I don't think anybody has an issue. It's, it's when you're at 31, 34, 35% that you're kind of looking around and saying, maybe there's a better shot there. Hopefully this isn't an issue, though, because, again, the Bulls have a lot more shooters on this team, too. So maybe it does eliminate four shots in the mid-range. Zach Levine feeling like he needs to put up a shot every single time. Be interesting to watch. But give me your guys' opinion on this. What do you think about Zach Levine Uh, talking a little bit about the mid-range game and also talking about his defense? You think any of this needs to be improved? Do you like what Zach Levine has been saying about this? Uh, The feedback that he's been getting from the Bulls front office about where he should be taking his shots? And also, what do you guys think about him saying he's tired of people talking shit about his defense? You can hit us up at 331-979-1369. Text messages, voicemails, anything you got for us. We'd love to hear your reaction to this, though. Uh, We'll play your voicemails and your text messages, get to as many as we can. You can also tweet at us on Twitter at LockedOnBulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. That's going to about do it for me. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, subscribe to Locked On Bulls if you're not already. Hit that subscribe button. Sometimes we don't tweet out the links until later on in the day, but the episodes are already up. So as Whatever platform you get your podcasts on, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Himalaya, any of these podcast platforms, make sure you're subscribed so you get our episodes as soon as they drop. For my partner, Matt Peck, who will be back tomorrow to do some mailbag with us, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com 